Hello and welcome. I'm Eric. And I'm John. And this is the Wikipedia Chronicles. podcast where we start with a random article, explore it, then follow the links and see where it takes us. John, what do you have today? Give us coppins. Uh, that's, that's what I have. And that is? It's a French uh, anthropologist. Ah. <laughs> it is a guy who graduated from the University of Rennes. He has studied ancient hominids hmm. and has had multiple works published on his on this topic and he's also produced a film mm. on uh, Saturday the 18th of October in 2014 Professor Coppins was named an ordinary member of the Pontifical Academy of Sciences by Pope Francis so he wasn't he wasn't an ordinary member before now he's an ordinary member but um yeah he uh is a very widely cited uh, anthropologist, it would seem. All right, Eric, uh, what do you got? I got Mario Franchesi. Okay, what is, um, what is what does that mean? <laughs> that is a man. Yes. He was an Italian crime reporter, mm. and he was the first journalist to expose the role of Toto Rina and the Corleonesi within the Sicilian Mafia. And because of this, he was killed on January 26, 1979 by Whoa. that Sicilian Mafia. No way. And after 22 years in 2001, those who had decided to eliminate him were convicted. Whoa. Um, well, <laughs> I think yours wins. <laughs> um... Yeah, we haven't really talked about the Mafia much. Um, we really haven't. This is something... This is good. Maybe Wikipedia just changed its algorithm for random <laughs> articles. Well, I did reinstall my operating system, so maybe that just really uh, threw it off today. I didn't, but then again, I also had a less uh, cool article. I feel like uh, Wikipedia is one of those things where if you reset your preferences and things you're a new user, it gives you a really good one to try to lure you uh, in. Yeah. Make you keep hitting that button. And then after it lords you in, then mm. it starts giving you crap. Because then, it's like, it's a free like, service. We can't just have you like, using ah, the I gotta try traffic. it again. Yeah. That is something good. Yeah, yeah. It ropes you in. And, you know, they want to have those clicks, even though they get no money for any of them, and it actually costs them more money every time <laughs> you do click. Um, yeah, they have to literally ask for money. Every time. By donation. Like, every other month. So. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're making these. That's why we're making these now. We're making these yeah. before Wikipedia went premium. <laughs> How's that? We're, we're not. We're not post-dating our podcast <laughs> now. We're future dating. Oh, yeah. There you go. Future proofing it. <laughs> now people will be able to continue to access our podcast for years. 
after Wikipedia has yeah, someday we a paid will service. be the Wikipedia. We will be Wikipedia the, will not be anymore. We will be the and Wikipedia. We will be the only source of Wikipedia. It'll, Wikipedia will become an oral history <laughs> produced by us. Yeah, after we uh, dredge up the sludge of the Google cache yep. of the husk of Wikipedia after it's gone. Yep. Then uh, there's nothing left. That's all. And then we just click random episode and start with one of our comments. <laughs> <laughs> and then we start writing and we it down. we listen to it and we're like, oh, remember then that Then we one transcribe time. <laughs> as much information as we can. But yeah, Mario Francesi. He was born in Syracuse, Sicily. And he moved to Palermo to finish school. And then in the 1950s, Francesi got his first job as a journalist at the Agenzia Nazionale Stampa Sociata, or ANSA. And shortly afterwards, he was hired by the newspaper La Sicilia in Cantania as a correspondent with the task of writing about crime and judicial affairs. And as he was looking to improve his financial situation... In 1957, he accepted a job as head of the press office at the Regional Administration of Sicily. So this guy... So it sounds like this is literally like all taking place in Italy. Yeah. This is no connection to like the Italian mafia in New York. Yep. This is... Well, I mean, maybe not no connection, but... Well, but... This is yeah, happening this is, in Italy itself, yeah. yeah. This actually might... This wouldn't predate the Italian Mafia. No, they, no, they, they would have been up They in were in the 30s and such, probably. Yeah, I would say they were a little bit later, too. I, I don't think they were completely well, in the 30s. Maybe after World War II. Yeah. Maybe not yeah, yeah, yeah. before that. But, uh, well, thanks to his improved financial situation, he decided to marry Maria Sagona in 1958. <laughs> Maria and Mario. That's great, yeah. Like, I, I, that couldn't have gotten confusing. <laughs> um, soon, however, he resigned from his second job at ANSA and started to collaborate with Giornal di Sicilia, the main newspaper of Palermo. He was appointed to cover crime and judicial affairs but and become one of the best experts on the Mafia. After some time, however, he was forced to make a choice between his job at the Sicilian Regional Administration and the one at the Journal de Sicilia. In 1968, he chose to become a professional journalist. And so his first job after that was to take care of all crime reporting. And from the Chiaculli... Chiachuli, I don't know, massacre to the murder of Carabinieri, Colonel Giuseppe Russo. And by digging in the intrigues connected with the construction of the Garcia Dam, he also was the first to understand the strategic evolution and the new interests of the Mafia of Corleone and their spread to Palermo. And Francesi looked into the connections of the Corleonezi businessmen and politicians in relations with public contracts and he was the only journalist to interview Minetta Bargarella the wife of Salvatore Rina 
So this sounds like it's like pretty close to like Godfather. Yeah, like, like even the, the names, the Corleones are involved. <laughs> like it's that's kind of weird that like they had to have drawn inspiration from like some some of this. I would think so, but I mean the guy is revealing all this stuff about the mafia around the same time that like those movies were being that's made. That's true. Yeah, that's so, very true. Like, like isn't don't the movies predate this even the first one? Yeah, that that would have been 70s. 70 something. They would have started making this before uh, get 1972. 72. And he was shot in 79. So this is clearly before that. Nobody shot Mario Puzo. Nobody shot, uh, you know, <laughs> that, that director. <laughs> so that's, maybe maybe they, they just knew about the mafia and the Corleone family. Could have been. And they were been. just like, all right, well, we'll take that real name and use it. I mean, maybe. Because, <laughs> I mean, then again. Maybe the Corleone family was like, we like this portrayal. <laughs> we'll take it. Hey, if I was them, I would be happy. I'd be yeah, like, yeah, I'd be like, cool. <laughs> now, now, now we look cool. We look stylish. <laughs> we look murderous. And people yeah. wouldn't mess with us. So I, I don't think it would be a bad deal for them. Could also just be that Corleone is a very common name in Italy. and uh, Maybe that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We are not up to our uh, Italian last names. No, definitely so, not up to snuff on that one. But yeah, uh, in his motivation of the sentence of his killers in 2001, 22 years after his death, which they haven't even mentioned yet, um, the judge described Francesi's skills an extraordinary capacity to make connections between the most significant news events, interpret them with courageous intelligence, and thus to draw a reconstruction of exceptional clarity and credibility on the evolutionary lines of Cosa Nostra in a historical phase in which, in addition to the emergence of insightful and widespread mafia infiltration in the world of procurement and economics, Cosa Nostra's strategy of attacking the state institutions began to take shape, a subversive strategy that had made a quality leap just with the elimination of one of the most lucid minds in Sicilian journalism, a professional stranger to any form of packaging, free of any complacency, towards the cliques colluded with the mafia and able to provide the public with important tools for the analysis of the changes taking place within Cosa Nostra. Hmm. What's Cosa Nostra? I don't know. <laughs> they didn't mention that before. Yeah, I, I was pretty sure they had, and I was like going up while while you were reading. I was just like, "Is this the place where they operated?" Or <laughs> no links to it. Oh, there is a link in the next uh, section. Ah, so okay. Well, let's we're, see maybe what we'll the, get into uh, it. There. Context is murder and trial. So, spoiler alert: you just had this section spoiled for you because. <laughs> They told you about his death in the previous paragraph. But I suppose, and in the first paragraph, and in well, the sidebar. Well, you know, you know, Wikipedia isn't a, isn't a, isn't a TV show. It's a yeah. it's an informational tool. Yeah. And their objective is to make the most informative first paragraph possible mm. about any one subject, so you can not click on Basically, Wikipedia. You just go to Google, pretty much, and yeah. use their bandwidth <laughs> instead. Basically, the Wikipedia is like. 
trying to give you the headline as quickly as possible. Yep. Because in this culture, in this time... That's what we need. We don't <laughs> want to read all We don't want to read this whole thing. <laughs> We're just like, all right, just tell me what the gist of this thing is. And this isn't... <laughs> yeah. But uh, if you've done that, listener, shame on you, because there's a pretty fascinating story here, even though we've already ruined part, like, the climax of it. But, uh, you know... Uh, maybe, maybe it's like we one can... of those movies where you start with the end. And it's then a Tarantino. You, work back to it. you know, <laughs> that's an Italian last name too. So yeah, why, why not? Pull um, it all together. So you know he's dead already, but he was shot and five times, five, and uh, <laughs> killed on the evening of January 26, 1979, in front of his house in Palermo by Luca Bagarella, the brother-in-law of Rina. The murder of Francesi was recorded a crime of passion, soon forgotten, and the investigation was closed. Soon forgotten. Yep. <laughs> Just got rid of him and that was it. Uh, the investigation on the murder was reopened years later at the insistence of the family, particularly his son, Giuseppe Francesi. The sentence of his of the first instance came in 2001 condemning the whole leading commission of Cosa Nostra. Rina, Francesco Madonia, Nini Garacci, Giuseppe Farinella, Michelle Greco, Le Luca Bagarella, the actual killer, and Giuseppe Calo were sentenced to 30 years. Bernardo Provenzano was sentenced to life imprisonment. Uh, what the did sent- he do? Um, <laughs> he didn't even did kill him. <laughs> so, did they did they think he was the killer or something at the time? I don't know because Leo Luca Bagarella is billed twice as being the actual killer. Mm-hmm. In 2001, Leo Luca Bagarella was sentenced to another 30 to a 30 year sentence. However, in 1979. The murder was recorded as being committed by Leo Luca Bagarella. Did he not serve any prison <laughs> prison sentence for that crime of passion? There's just like, like, oh, I'll kill a guy. He has a crime of passion by that he's, guy. He's, uh, he's, just, he's, uh, so he he's just let's just write it off. Just forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I mean, I, I just don't, I don't understand um, why if they knew he was the killer. <laughs> then they closed the case, and that was it. Like that was maybe yeah. it was a mafia thing. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. But yeah, I, I'm really curious about what Bernardo Provenzano did. <laughs> no, really, the commission of Cosa Nostra seems like something we should check out because yeah, Cosa uh, Nostra itself seems like it might have had a pretty interesting history. I'm wondering if maybe Cosa Nostra is like the mafia name or something. Like, maybe it's just, like, the group of people in that section of the mafia. Anyway, uh, let's finish this up really quick. The sentences were confirmed to be in appeal. In December of 2003, the Italian Supreme Court absolved Pipo Calo, Nini Garacci, and Giuseppe Farinella for not having committed the crime. They didn't even mention uh, Pipo, Pipo Calo. Oh, wait. Yeah, yeah, is he's, that the he's nickname of uh, Giuseppe, Giuseppe Callo? I'm guessing. <laughs> I don't know because uh, they didn't. Uh, there wasn't a people Callo before. Yeah. I, I let's just go with that. Sure. Um. Nene. Uh. Oh, hold on. Here we are. Uh. 
the they confirmed the sentence of 30 years of prison for Toto Rina, Leo Luca Bagarella, Rafael Ganchi, Francisco Madonia, and Michelle Greco. So, okay, so some of those the were conviction not... the conviction of Bernardo Provenzano was also confirmed. So confirmed? the guy serving yeah the guy who was serving life imprisonment for not killing a guy. <laughs> I really want to know. I'm hoping that if we go to Cosa Nostra, well, we won't lose sight of this guy because I want to go yeah. to him next. Well, okay, we'll I figure mean, out I, why. I figure if going to Cosa Nostra, it would have to include like all these people. It would have to. You can also see a list of the victims of the Sicilian Mafia. Hmm. Well, not I'll, as long as I would expect. Let's check out the Cosa Nostra next. Yes, I agree. Oh, Giuseppe, for Tell like one last sad note. Giuseppe, the son of Mario, was, uh, like him, a journalist at the Giorna di Sicilia after having fought so much for the truth about the murder of his father, committed suicide shortly before Ooh. sentencing of the murders by the appeal court. And that seems a little suspicious. Yeah. But in yeah, any case... Yeah, that sounds like... Because uh, he was a journalist. I don't know. They clearly didn't like journalists. Mm-hmm. Obviously not. Oh, okay. So the Cosa Nostra is the Italian name for the Sicilian Mafia. All right. That's a good. That's a good jump. Mm -hmm. It's a good leap. Yep. So it's oh, known boy. as the the La Casa Nostra, Casa Nostra, Italian Mafia, and Italian Mob redirect here <laughs> for the Italian American counterpart, also known as La Casa Nostra, Casa Nostra, the Italian Mafia, <laughs> and the Italian Mob. See American Mafia. Italian Mafia also redirects here, which it mentioned before, for other criminal <laughs> organizations originating in Italy. See organized crime in Italy. Mafiosa also redirects <laughs> here for the French TV series. See Mafiosa TV series. Oh. So uh, I know there's been quite a bit of media about these guys. Uh, they have been active since the 1800s as a mafia. And they are presently active today because years of knowing about them <laughs> and knowing that they were a crime family has somehow absolved them of being able to be uh, stopped. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't. I, it seems like a strange contradiction that we know they, out so the much about like, the mafia. They are the most picturesque <laughs> archetypal crime family to be yeah. around in modern times. <laughs> They live under no curtain whatsoever. It's just like they—they <laughs> they are the mafia. They're there. Like they you are know doing them. bad things. They, they are, are doing bad things. They're drug dealing. They're doing all these things <laughs> and that it's are just illegal. Like, never, never like everybody's like, "Yep, that's the mafia." <laughs> Gotta love them. <laughs> like somehow they're just not. And they're just like, they, yeah, they, I, mean, I don't know. Maybe the thing is, is like you don't really hear too much about. Mafia connections anymore? Like, I have yeah. to wonder if they haven't diversified or changed the game. Like, oh, yeah. maybe they're more like stuff that's almost crime, but not quite. <laughs> maybe they're, maybe that's more their strong suit. Anyway, yeah. maybe if we read on maybe here, we can see like some stuff. like maybe their Wikipedia article will be so kind <laughs> as to tell us exactly what they're up to these days. This is how they go about avoiding getting captured by the law. Here you go. Here's here's how we do it. <laughs> Let us know if you have any pointers. <laughs> 
So, yeah, basically, the I mean, the Mafia is the Mafia. You know what that is. It's a criminal syndicate, and this one is specifically in Sicily, Italy. And it is a loose association of criminal groups that share a common organizational structure and code of conduct. And they're known as families or clans or cascas. And each family has sovereignty over a certain territory or town or village or neighborhood. And um, in that subsection, they operate their own rackets. And the members of these call themselves men of honor. And the public often refers to them as mafiosi. And the Mafia's core activities are protection racketeering. So that's going to different businesses and saying, hey, pay us money to protect you or we'll beat you up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, so then they also deal in the arbitration of disputes between criminals and the organization or and the organizing and oversight of illegal agreements and transactions. So these guys are the government of crime. Which, maybe that's why they're allowed to exist. Because, <laughs> like, they kind of, like... They're the archetype for a crime organization, but they're also the archetype for a crime organization. Like, without them, there are no, like, safe, clean-cut, generated, procedural, like, yeah. informational memorandum-type policies that's for true. crime. Yeah. <laughs> like, maybe Outside they're the of guys. them, there's, like, no rules. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, do whatever you want. Because as soon as you hit the Russian mafia, you're just like... Well, now I need to be scared because these people have no code of ethics. <laughs> Meanwhile, the, the, the Sicilian Mafia, you know, there's an element of respect. There's still, like, some hierarchy. It's not an immediate... It's not a giant murder hole, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> now, of course, following waves of immigration, the Mafia has spread to other countries, like the United States, Canada, and Australia, which... I feel like there's a fun Godfather movie <laughs> in the works there. Oh yeah, that's get some Chris Hems- get some Hemsworth action up in that. You know? Oh man, yeah. I want to see a mafia have Fabio movie be with, the Godfather, uh, and then have the Hemsworth accents. guys grow out their hair and be the kids. <laughs> it'll it'll be it'll be fantastic. <laughs> I feel like the Hemsworth the Hemworth, Hemsworth guys could pass as Fabio's kids. Oh yeah, and Fabio's Italian, so I mean like. Who- but he's Italian, right? He's uh, a really weird accent. I don't know what it is. I uh, think it's Italian. I don't know. He's Eastern European or something. Mm. Fabio just sounds Italian. Oh, yeah, he's Italian. Okay, great. Yeah. Perfect. Movie, <laughs> let's get that in the works right now. <laughs> Quick, before Fabio can change his mind about being an actor slash model. So, yeah, we can get into the etymology of Mafia. Interesting. All right. Um, obviously, the word mafia originated in Sicily, and its origins are uncertain. Other than the fact uh, that it originated in Sicily, which is right. certain. <laughs> <laughs> the Sicilian adjective, adjective uh, mafiosu, in Italian mafioso, roughly translates to mean swagger, <laughs> but can also be translated as boldness or bravado. And in reference to a man, mafiusu in 19th century Sicily was ambiguous, signifying a bully, arrogant, but also fearless, enterprising, and proud, according to scholar Diego Gambetta. Um, In reference to a woman, however, the feminine form adjective mafiusa means beautiful and attractive. Hmm. And the Sicilian word mafi refers to the caves near Trapani, 
and Marsala, which were often used as hiding places for refugees and criminals. Huh. And Sicily was once an Islamic emirate. Therefore, what? mafia might have Arab roots. What? <laughs> the possible Arabic roots of the word include mahias, which is aggressive, boasting, or bragging, or marfud, which is rejected, or muafa, which is safety and protection, or ma'afir, the name of an Arab tribe that ruled Palermo. Hmm. That's interesting. Well, the yeah. public's association of the word with the criminal secret society was perhaps inspired by the 1863 play I Mafiosi di la Vicara, or The Mafiosi of the Vicara, <laughs> uh, by Giuseppe Risotto and Gatano Masca. The words mafia and mafiosi are never mentioned in the play. They were probably put in the title to add a local flair. The play is about a Palermo prison gang with traits similar to the mafia. A boss, an initiation ritual, and talk of umerta, or omerta, or code of silence. And pizu, a code word for extortion money. <laughs> the play... Very close to pizza. Yeah, <laughs> Pizu. Pizza? Which is also no. Italian. <laughs> no, extortion money. Extortion money? Pizza. I can go for extortion money or for pizza. I'm here for pizza. Oh, okay, here's your uh, here's your money. Oh. Thanks. Okay, see you later. All right, <laughs> fine. That's fine with me. I'll take that too. Uh, the play had great success throughout Italy. Soon after, the term uh, mafia began appearing in Italian states' early reports on the phenomenon. The word made its first official appearance in 1865 in a report by the prefect of Palermo, Filippo Antonio Gualterio. The term mafia has become a generic term for any organized criminal network with similar structure, methods, and interests. Giovanni Falcone, the anti-mafia judge murdered by the mafia in 1992, however, objected to the conflation of the term mafia with organized crime in general. Probably why he was murdered. Well, maybe. Let's see what he has to say. <laughs> Quote, While there was a time when people were reluctant to pronounce the word mafia, nowadays people have gone so far in the opposite direction that it has become an overused term. I am no longer willing to accept the habit of speaking of the mafia in descriptive and all-inclusive terms that make it possible to stack up phenomena that are indeed related to the field of organized crime but have little or nothing to do in common with the mafia, end quote. Hmm. Uh, that was Giovanni Falcone two years before the mafia killed him for not liking him very much. <laughs> I mean, he was a judge, he was anti-mafia. Yeah, that, that was going to happen. So, Cosa Nostra and other names. Um, so, according to Mafia Turncoats, the real name of the Mafia is Cosa Nostra, which means our thing. And Italian-American mafioso Joseph Valacci testified before the Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations of the U.S. Senate Committee of Government Operations in 1963 Known as the Valachi hearings. Um, wait. Oh. Nope. 
Okay, so yeah, yeah. I, I thought that was sentence was going somewhere. I and then it, was, it just stops. But it just stops. it just ends. <laughs> it just stops. That's they're just stating that he testified there. He did. Okay. <laughs> That's what he did. <laughs> that was it. So he revealed that ma- American mafiosi referred to their organization by the term Cosa Nostra, our thing or this thing of ours, or simply our cause or our interest. At the time, it was understood as a proper name, fostered by the FBI and disseminated by the media. The FBI even added the article La to the term, calling it La Cosa Nostra. In Italy, the article La is not used when referring to Cosa Nostra. And in 1984, Mafia turncoat Tommaso Buschetta revealed to the anti-mafia magistrate Giovanni Falcone that the term was used by the Sicilian Mafia as well. Buschetta dismissed the word Mafia as a mere literary creation. Other defectors, such as Antonino Calderon and Salvatore Contorno, confirmed the use of Cosa Nostra by members. Mafiosi introduced known members to each other as belonging to Cosa Nostra, or La Stressa Cosa, which means the same thing, meaning he is the same thing as you, a mafioso. And the Sicilian Mafia has used other names to describe itself throughout its history, such as the Honored Society, and Mafiosi are known among themselves as Men of Honor or Men of Respect. And the Cosa Nostra should not be confused with other Mafia-type organizations in Italy, such as the Nadrangheta in Calabria, the Camorra in Campania, or the Sacra Corona Unita in Apulia. Right. So it's difficult to define the single function or even the goal of (laughs) the phenomenon of the Mafia. Until the early 1980s, Mafia was generally considered a unique Sicilian cultural attitude and form of power, excluding any corporate or organizational dimension. Some even used it as a defensive attempt to render the Mafia benign and romantic, not a criminal association, but the sum of Sicilian values that outsiders will never understand. Leopoldo Franchetti was an Italian deputy who traveled to Sicily and who wrote on the first authoritative reports of the Mafia in 1876. He saw the Mafia as an industry of violence and described the designation of the term Mafia. Quote, The term Mafia found a class of violent criminals ready and waiting for a name to define them, and, given their special character and importance in Sicilian society, they had the right to a different name from that defining vulgar criminals in other countries. End quote, Leopoldo Franchetti, 1876 probably sometime two years before he was murdered by the Mafia. Uh, (laughs) Franchetti saw the Mafia as a deeply rooted in Sicilian society uh, organization and impossible to quench unless the very structure of the island's social institutions were to undergo a fundamental change. Some observers saw Mafia as a set of attributes deeply rooted in popular culture as a way of being, as illustrated in the definition by Sicilian ethnographer Giuseppe Pitra. Quote, Mafia is the consciousness 
of one's own worth. The exaggerated concept of individual force as the sole arbiter of every conflict, of every clash of interests or ideas. Giuseppe Petri, 1889, end quote. Other scholars, such as Gaetano Mosca, say, quote, It should be noted that the word mafia, the Sicilians intend to express two things, two social phenomena that can be analyzed in separate ways even though they are closely related. The mafia, or uh, rather the essence of the mafia, is a way of thinking that requires a certain line of conduct such as maintaining one's pride of or uh, or even bullying in a given situation. On the other hand, the same word in Sicily can also indicate not a special organization, but the combination of many small organizations that pursue various goals, in the course of which its members almost always do things which are basically illegal and sometimes even criminal. End quote. Hmm. Like Petra, many scholars view mafiosi as individuals behaving according to specific subcultural codes, but did not consider the mafia a formal organization. Judicial investigations and scientific research in the 1980s proved so provided solid proof of the existence of well-structured mafia groups with entrepreneurial characteristics. The mafia was seen as an enterprise, and its economic activities began became the focus of academic analyses. Ignoring the cultural aspects, the Mafia is often erroneously seen as similar to other non-Sicilian organized criminal associations. So, you might not know this, but um, Benito Mussolini actually tried to destroy the Mafia what? and assert <laughs> fascist control over Sicilian life. <laughs> so... The Mafia threatened and undermined his power in Sicily, and a successful campaign would strengthen him as the new leader, legitimizing and empowering his rule. This would be a great propaganda coup for fascism, and it would also provide an excuse to suppress his political opponents on the island, since many Sicilian politicians had Mafia links. And... Uh, as Prime Minister, he visited Sicily in May 1924 and passed through Piana dei Greci, where he was received by mayor-slash-mafia boss Francesco uh, Cuccia. Wow, so the mafia boss actually became mayor. That's, yep. Uh, <laughs> mayor-slash-mafia boss. Quite the, uh, the mafia was Sicily. <laughs> And Sicily was the mafia. You don't see End that story. too often. Like you see him. You be would like, hope not, but it's also <laughs> Sicily. So yeah. maybe maybe you do see it more often than you think. Maybe we just don't know too many mayors of Sicily. It, it usually seems like the mafia is just like, hey, listen, government, we own you. Just uh, do what we tell you to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like this time, they're actually like, eh, might as well just go for it. You might as well just be the government too. <laughs> like, why own the government? We can just be yeah, the government. Let's just make the laws. Let's do whatever we want to do. And uh, at some point, uh, Cuccia expressed surprise at Mussolini's police escort and whispered in his ear, You are with me. You are under my protection. What do you need all these cops for? And Mussolini rejected Cuccia's offer of protection, and the sindaco felt that he had been slighted and instructed the townsfolk not to attend the Duce's speech. Mussolini felt humiliated and outraged. 
and Cuccia's careless remark has passed into history as the catalyst for Mussolini's war on the mafia. Mussolini firmly established his power in January 1925. He appointed Cesare Mori as the prefect of Palermo in October 1925 and granted him special powers to fight the mafia. Mori formed a small army of policemen, carabinieri, and militiamen, which went from town to town rounding up suspects. To force suspects to surrender, they would take their families hostage and sell off their property or publicly slaughter their livestock. Then by 1928, more than 11,000 suspects were arrested. Confessions were sometimes extracted through beatings and torture, and some mafiosi who had been on the losing end of mafia feuds voluntarily cooperated with prosecutors perhaps as a way of obtaining protection and revenge. Charges of mafia association were typically leveled at poor peasants and galabellati, which are farm leaseholders, but were avoided when dealing with major landowners. Many were tried en masse. More than 1,200 were convicted and imprisoned, and many other were internally exiled without trial. Mori's campaign ended in June 1929, when Mussolini recalled him to Rome. He did not permanently crush the Mafia as the fascist press proclaimed, but his campaign was nonetheless very successful at suppressing it. As Mafia informant Antonino Calderon reminisced, the music music changed. Mafiosi had a hard life. After the war, the Mafia hardly existed anymore. The Sicilian families had all been broken up and Sicily's murder rate sharply declined. Landowners were able to raise the legal rents on their lands, sometimes as much as 10,000-fold. Many mafiosi fled to the United States. Among these were Carlo Gambino and Joseph Bonanno, who became powerful mafia bosses in New York City. So Mussolini literally created the mafia Huh. Because he drove all of them over here. Because they were Be, well, yep, like, because destroyed they, over yeah. there. <laughs> That's impressive, sort of, but also kind of... Man. <laughs> it's weird to me that they were at odds. I thought Bonita would have yeah, had some I, things to learn from them, not tried to <laughs> destroy them. Yeah. But I've said it before, and I'll say it again. This would make a great movie. And I really wish. Yeah, like that why we had we, people making these mob? Yeah, Scorsese, what are you doing? There should Just, be a prelude. <laughs> there should be a prelude to all of the uh, Ford Cop- Francis Ford Coppola uh, movies. Yeah. There should be a prelude movie that's like you know, <laughs> all about all about uh, how the uh, how the um, mafia was broken up in Sicily mm-hmm. and why they dispersed. I mean, other than Godfather Part Two, I know there are a lot of flashbacks to yeah. young. <laughs> To the young Godfather Corleone, even still. But yeah, go back, go back further. You know, it's uh, this is uh, World War Two mafia. Like that'd be weird. <laughs> that'd be like the Empire Strikes Back of the mafia, wouldn't it? Like see all these people like get like driven out of their homeland. Like you'd feel bad for the mafia. Yeah, that would be <laughs> that would be an, an interesting turn of events. It's usually you're like, hey, you know, the mafia is pretty cool in this movie, but they're still doing pretty terrible things. Yeah, but, like to have it be like. Oh man, I really feel bad for those mafia guys. I'm rooting for the mafia. <laughs> I'm rooting for them this time. Like, I really hope. 
Like, yeah. That'd be an interesting... I mean, it'd be a great twist, but it would be yeah. a true one, too, is oh, the yeah. thing. That's... Like, even the mafia hates Nazis. Go figure. <laughs> uh, so, the sack of Palermo. For all the trouble that they had during World War II, the post-war period saw a huge building boom in Palermo. Allied bombing in World War II had left more than 14,000 people homeless, and migrants were pouring in from the countryside. So there was a huge demand for new homes. Much of this construction was subsidized by public money. In 1956, two mafia-connected officials, Vito Cianciano and Salvatore Lima, that name sounds familiar, took control of Palermo's Office of Public Works. Between 1959 and 1963, about 80% of building permits were given to just five people, none of whom represented major construction firms and were probably mafia frontmen. Construction companies unconnected with the mafia were forced to pay protection money. Many buildings were illegally constructed before the city's planning was finalized. Mafiosi scared off anyone who dared to question the illegal building. The result of this unregulated building was the demolition of many historic buildings and the erection of apartment blocks, many of which were not up to standard. Uh, quote, Mafia organizations entirely control the building sector in Palermo, the quarries where aggregates are mined, site clearance firms, cement plants, metal depots for the construction industry, wholesalers for sanitary fixtures, and so on. End quote. Giovanni Falcone, 1982. The 1950s saw the Mafia heavily penetrate the construction and cement industries, the cement business was appealing to the Mafia because it allows high levels of local economic involvement and is a good front for the il- for illegitimate operations. And it's great for burying bodies. Thank you. Thank you. That's what I was hoping they were going to say, but they never got around to it. Oh, this next subheading. This oh, yeah. is... This we, is good we got stuff. we got some mafia wars here. They have some. They have their own mafia wars. Mafia War One begin. <laughs> yeah, there was a uh, high-profile conflict between mafia clans, and in 1962, mafia boss Cesare Manzella organized a drug shipment with a couple other Sicilian clans, the Grecos and the La Barberas. And um, he entrusted another boss, Calcedonio di Pisa, to handle the heroin. When the shipment arrived in America, however, the American buyers claimed that some of the heroin was missing and paid di Pisa a commensurately lower sum. Di Pisa accused the Americans of defrauding him while the La Barberas accused De Pisa of embezzling the missing heroin. That's good for using the heroin, <laughs> I think. The Sicilian Mafia Commission sided with... Wow, they have a commission. They sided have a commission. <laughs> Are you documenting a criminal a criminal freaking conspiracy? <laughs> they sided with De Pisa to the open anger of the La Barberas. The La Barberas murdered De Pisa and Manzella... Triggering a war. And meanwhile, the Grecos, I guess, don't um, have any involvement. (laughs) No. They they don't have any stake. They're like, "Ah, I don't want to get in the middle of that. 
uh, but many non-mafiosi were killed in the crossfire. In April 1963, several bystanders were wounded during a shootout in Palermo. In May, Angelo La Barbera survived a murder attempt in Milan. In June, six military officers and a policeman in Chiachuli were killed while trying to dispose of a car bomb. Hmm. These incidents provoked national outrage and a crackdown in which nearly 2,000 arrests were made. Mafia activity fell as clans disbanded and mafiosi went into hiding. The Sicilian Mafia Commission was dissolved, and it did not reform until 1969. 117 suspects were put on trial in 1968, but most were acquitted or, or received light sentences. The inactivity plus money lost to legal fees and so forth reduced most mafiosi to poverty. So, once again, they built themselves up, and then this time they destroyed themselves from within. Yep. And now they're back to basically nothing. Yeah. But they will build themselves up again. Yeah, and probably destroy themselves from the inside again, but let's see. The second Mafia War. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Between that, though, there was something of a roaring 20s for them. There was I love the how they have their own, like, world yeah, history. They do. Like, they just, they, like, went to the world history as it was, and they were like, great, we can do that, and then they started. Um, so there was a smuggling boom between the first and second Mafia Wars. The 1950s and 1960s were difficult times for the Mafia, but eventually, in the 1970s, their rackets grew considerably more lucrative, particularly in smuggling. Uh The most lucrative racket of the 1970s was cigarette smuggling, (laughs) oddly enough. I love how stereotypical all of this stuff is. Yeah, (laughs) it's just like everything is just like every (laughs) representation in the media has not been a derivation. It has been something that has actually happened. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Sicilian and Neapolitan crime bosses negotiated a joint monopoly over the smuggling of cigarettes to Naples. Heroin refineries operated by Corsican gangsters in Marseille were shut down by French authorities, and morphine traffickers looked to Sicily. Starting in 1975, the Cosa Nostra set up heroin refineries around the island. Refineries? Yeah, multiple. Tons of them. I love the term heroin refineries. It makes because it sound like so, it's refined Like a legitimate process. business. We, had to, we, we take the <laughs> finest heroin from around the world and condense it and age it in these rich uh, oak casks. Very refined heroin. Mm, yes. Served to you on a gold spoon from a butane <laughs> lighter. Not that crappy, you know, big lighter stuff. We don't do that here. Um, so they set up facilities around the island, uh, the coast of Nostra, seeking to control both the refining and the distribution of heroin. And um, you see, this is why they couldn't go with in America. There's antitrust uh. laws. They wouldn't be able to monopolize <laughs> like that. Um, any case, Sicilia, unless they were the mayor, <laughs> unless they're the mayor, and they are the mayor, so it doesn't. It's fine. Uh, Sicilian mafiosi moved to the United States to personally control distribution wow. networks there, often at the expense of their United States mafio ma- mafioso counterparts, <laughs> which had already set up shop and had their own things. Heroin addiction in North America surged between the mid-1970s and into the early 1980s. By 1982, the Sicilian Mafia controlled about 80% of the heroin trade in the northeastern United States. Heroin was often distributed to street dealers from Mafia-owned pizzerias, and the revenues could be passed off as restaurant profits, the so-called pizza connection. Wow. (laughs) Of course... 
you know, what happens when you take uh, the functional Italian mafia and you have it butt heads with the functional American mafia? I'm not gonna spoil anything here for you, <laughs> but I'm guessing there's a second mafia conflict coming. Oh, oh yeah. Sorry. The early 70s, this would be uh, Luciano Leggio was boss of the Corleone clan. This is literally like Godfather. This is Godfather <laughs> stuff right here. And he was a member of the Sicilian Mafia Commission, and he forged a coalition of mafia clans known as the Corleone Corleonesi with himself as its leader. He initiated a campaign to dominate Cosa Nostra and its narcotics trade. To dominate it himself? This is ridiculous. I mean... I mean, like, they're all part of the same thing. machine here, yeah. really, to dominate the whole thing. Maybe maybe the, I mean, he formed this in the early 1970s. 1972 is when the first Godfather movie came out. Yeah. The Godfather novel predated the movie, and that That's was already true. published. Maybe this guy just read that book and was just like, Hey, you know what? Corleone crime family sounds like a great idea. Let's get one started. Because it seems like he calls it, he creates the, the Corleone clan. Yeah. Yeah. The Sicilian Mafia Commission is what he creates. Uh, he was imprisoned in 1974. So he acted through his deputy, Salvatore Rina, who we've heard from. Uh, we have heard about him. To whom he eventually handed over control. Surrogate. Um, yeah. <laughs> so he's still doing stuff from prison. He's like uh, Kingpin. Mm -hmm. uh, the Corleonesi bribed cash-strapped Palermo clans into the fold. Nice tactic. They subverted members of their other clans and secretly recruited new members. In 1977, the Corleonesi had Gaetano Badalamenti expelled from the commission on trumped-up charges of hiding drug revenues. Wow, so they even had, like... Like... I don't know, like, laws within their commission that they... Yep. They're like, all right. They created you, a government you to are control. fired from the Sicilian mafia government. They created a government <laughs> to govern their lawlessness, oh, which is man. so baller when you yeah. think about it. <laughs> like, man, is that cool. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'm not saying I back organized crime, but you got to say th they, there's they, something about that, that yeah, that's genuinely neat. <laughs> But in April 1981, the Corleonesi murdered rival member of the commission, Stefano Bantade, and the Second Mafia War began in earnest. Hundreds of enemy mafiosi and their relatives were murdered, sometimes by traitors in their own clans. By manipulating the mafia's rules and eliminating rivals, the Corleonesi came to completely dominate the commission. Rina used his power to... The com over the commission to replace the bosses of certain clans with hand-picked regents. In the end, the Corleonesi faction won and Rena effectively became the boss of bosses of the Sicilian Mafia. Hmm. At, the at the same time that the Corleonesi waged their campaign to dominate Cosa Nostra, they also waged a campaign of murder against journalists, officials, and policemen who dared to cross them. So that's where we started at. 
The police were frustrated with the lack of help that they were receiving from witnesses and politicians. At the funeral of a policeman murdered by mafiosi in 1985, policemen insulted and spat at two attending politicians, and a fight broke out between them and military police. And I do see down here our good friend Bernardo that we were so curious about. Huh. They only show up to court in sunglasses, huh? (laughs) Hey, it's Buschetta. Buschetta! Tomato Buschetta. (laughs) I remember him. So, there was the Maxi trial in the early 1980s. Magistrates Giovanni Falcone and Paolo Borsellino began a campaign against the Cosa Nostra. Their big break came with the arrest of Tomato Bruschetta, a mafioso <laughs> who chose to turn informant in exchange for protection from the Corleonesi, who had already murdered many of his friends and relatives. Other mafiosi followed his example. Falcone and Borsellino compli- complied their testimonies and organized the Maxi trial, which lasted from February 1986 to December 1987. That's two Ooh. years of pure trial. Wow. It was held in a fortified courthouse built specifically for the occasion. <laughs> 474 mafiosi were put on trial, of whom 342 were convicted. Ooh. And in January 1992, the Sup- Italian Supreme Court confirmed these convictions. And then there was violence. The third mafia <laughs> war. Uh, the mafia retaliated against this, and in 1988, they murdered a Palermo judge and his son. Three years later, a prosecutor and an anti-mafia businessman were also murdered. Salvatore Lima, a close political ally of the mafia, was murdered for failing to reverse the convictions as promised. Then Falcone and Borsellino were killed by bombs in 1992. This led to a public outcry and a massive government crackdown, resulting in the arrest of Salvatore Rina in January 1993, and more and more defectors emerged. Many paid a high price for their cooperation, usually through the murder of relatives. For example, Francesco Marina, Marino uh, Manoia's mother, aunt, and sister were murdered. After Rina's arrest, the Mafia began a campaign of terrorism on the Italian mainland. Tourist spots were attacked, such as the Via dei Giorgio Fili in Florence, uh, Via Palestro in Milan, and the Piazza San Giovanni in Laterano, and Via San Teodoro in Rome, leaving 10 dead and 93 injured and causing severe damage to cultural heritage such as the Uffizi Gallery. The Catholic Church openly condemned the Mafia, and two churches were bombed, and an anti-Mafia priest shot dead in Rome. Wow. I mean, does the Catholic Church really have to be like, hey, that Mafia is bad news? <laughs> like, Well, the fact I that they like got around to doing like... it only after that, like... <laughs> It's, they've been around since the 1800s, and like it took them until 1993 <laughs> to be like, hey, that mafia, they're bad dudes. <laughs> they job, are not Catholic in Church. line with the Christian faith, I can tell you that. Much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but after Rena's capture, leadership of the mafia was briefly held by Leo Lucha Bagarella, then passed to 
Bernardino Provenz- Provenzano when Bargarello- Bagarello was captured in 1995. Oh, uh, Leo Luca Bargarello. Was he the guy who... He, he was the guy who killed... Was- Yes, yes, yes. And he was he, so he wasn't apprehended even until 1995. Right. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. And Provenzano halted the campaign of violence and replaced it with a campaign of quietness, known as Pax Mafiosa. Huh. <laughs> so this uh, Bernardo Provenzano guy gets in there and is like, "Okay, we're doing this all wrong. <laughs> Let's continue to operate, but instead of being." Stupid and violent <laughs> and murdering everybody and murdering everybody where everybody can see it. Let's do none of those things. <laughs> and now we have the maf- mafia that we have during the Provenzano years. Under Provenzano's leadership, murder of state officials were halted. He also halted the policy of murdering informants and their families, with a view instead to getting them to retract their testimonies and return to the fold. He also restored the common support fund for imprisoned mafiosi. The tide of defectors was greatly stemmed. The mafia preferred to initiate relatives of existing mafiosi, believing them to be less prone to defection. Provenzano was arrested in 2006 after 43 years on the run. His successor is Messina Denaro. Man, so... Well, I think at least he did some good things for the mafia. I, I kind of feel bad for him. Because it's like, he was like the guy who came in and like legitimized uh, things again. Yeah, like and he still of, gets arrested. Like before him, it was just like complete chaos and violence and horrible things. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to stop all that. I'm going to have a little peace here. I'm just going to keep low key. And then they're like, all right, arresting you, putting you in your prison for life. And he was like, but I stopped the killing. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, but you're the president of the mafia. So it's just kind of something we have to do every like 20 years or so. We got to arrest one of you. <laughs> Yeah, we got to break up this thing. <laughs> I know. I mean, you're, we know you're going to get back together, but I mean, of mafia, we got to just if we don't arrest you, it looks <laughs> like we're slacking, and you know, I mean, we we've known you've been the boss for like X amount of years now. Anyway, it's not like you we, we've known where you were. We've just been letting you have your fun. <laughs> um, one part that I find interesting is the Ten Commandments of uh, the Mafia. Um, in 2007, Sicilian police reported discovery of the list of the Ten Commandments in a, the hideout of Mafia boss Salvatore Lo Piccolo, thought to be guidelines on good, respectful, and honorable conduct for a mafioso. One, no one can present himself directly to another of our friends. There must be a third person to do it. Hmm. So, nobody's like introducing people it's just like hey i got this guy hey this is my friend (laughs) tomato bruschetta (laughs) he'll be killing you this evening (laughs) number two never look at the wives of friends (laughs) i think that one's a knockoff commandment that one's stolen that was one of the original 10 (laughs) (laughs) number three never be seen with cops okay number four don't go to pubs and clubs really that's Don't? strange. I guess I feel like, like drink at home is the policy. I, I feel like you see a lot of mafia in clubs, like running the clubs and but being maybe, in the clubs. But maybe, maybe they're maybe not like, allowed to be there socially. Like they're allowed uh, to own them and run true. them. They're not allowed to just go there. Go there, yeah. 
Don't that's interesting. There. Puritanical. That's kind of a puritanical stance. Yeah. If you like. That's that's cool though. That's actually like providing <laughs> some rigor. And number five, always be available for Cosa Nostra is a duty, even if your wife is about to give birth. Wow. <laughs> so it's like the army. Yeah. Number six, appointments must absolutely be respected. Probably refers to formal rank and authority. Number seven, wives must be treated with respect. Number eight, when asked for any information, the answer must be the truth. I assume there's a caveat unless you were talking to the police. Well, I think it must be within the organization, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Uh, Number nine, money cannot be appropriated if it belongs to others or to other families. Number ten, people who can't be part of Cosa Nostra, anyone who is a clo- who has a close relative in the police, anyone who is a with a two-timing relative in the family, anyone who behaves badly and doesn't hold to moral values. That's wow. that's, a, that's a strange one. That last one, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, that's up for that's questionable. <laughs> that's that's uh, probably subjective to their uh, style of living here. I mean, moral is relative to mafioso. And behaving badly. Is relative to being a mafioso, <laughs> yes. So, yeah. Uh, it says that uh, Pentito Antonio Calderoni uh, recounted similar commandments in his 1987 testimony. That these rules are not to touch the woman of other men of honor not to steal from other men of honor or, in general, from anyone, not to exploit prostitution, not to kill other men for honor unless strictly necessary, to avoid passing information to the police, not to quarrel with other men of honor, to maintain proper behavior, to keep silent about Cosa Nostra around outsiders, to avoid all circumstances introducing oneself to other men of honor. That's weird. That third-person thing is still, (laughs) like, predominant in that... Yeah, huh? I'm still trying to wrap my mind around exactly what kind of good that would do, but <laughs> maybe um, it's just to uh, um, let you know you're dealing with a mafioso, <laughs> <laughs> or like to to kind of safeguard against introducing yourself to like uh, somebody that isn't good, like yeah. isn't with the clan, or you know who isn't like maybe like an undercover cop or something. So it's That's like, true. hey, so you have I know viability. this guy. I know you. I'm going to introduce both of you I guess, because I yeah. I am the link to both of you. And, and I then know if anything goes wrong, it's on you, yeah. not on either of them. So that way, there's yeah. always like a double link. Right. I mean, okay, yeah, that makes sense. So, uh, modern mafia in Italy. Now that we've arrested the other boss, Messina Denaro is allegedly the current one. Um says that the incarcerated bosses are currently subjected to strict controls on their contact with the outside world, limiting their ability to run their operations from behind bars under the Article 41 BIS prison regime. Antonio Giuffre is a close confidant of Provenzano who turned Pentito shortly after his capture in 2002. He alleges that Cosa Nostra had direct contact in 1993 with representatives of Silvio Berlusconi, who was then planning the birth of Forza Italia. (laughs) Interesting, because Silvio Berlusconi is, if you've paid attention to the news in the past seven or eight years, 
He's one of the most bombastic Italian politicians you've ever heard of. It's interesting that he... I mean, of course he has mafia ties. That's the only explanation for why he, like, hasn't been ousted sooner than he was. Anyway, the alleged deal included a repeal of the prison regime law, which which I mentioned before, that limited the power of uh, mafia bosses behind laws. They, uh, behind bars, I should say, uh, among other anti-mafia laws in return for electoral support in Sicily. Nevertheless, Giuffre's declarations have not yet been confirmed. The Italian parliament reinforced the provisions of the 41 bis and with the full support of Forza Italia. The bill was to expire in 2002, but has been prolonged for another four years and extended to other crimes such as terrorism. However, according to one of Italy's leading magazines, L'Espresso, 119 mafiosi have been released on an individual basis, one-fifth of those incarcerated under the 41-bis regime. The human rights group Amnesty International has expressed concern that the 41-bis regime could, in some circumstances, amount to cruel or inhumane or degrading treatment for prisoners. <laughs> Deceased politician Giulio Andre- Andreotti and High Court Judge Corrado Carnavale have long been suspected of having ties to the Mafia, in addition to Salvatore Lima mentioned above. By the late 1990s, the weakened Cosa Nostra had to yield most of the illegal drug trade to the Ndrangheta crime organization from Calabria. In 2006, the Nandragheta was estimated to control 80% of the cocaine imported to Europe. In 2012, it was reported the Mafia had joined forces with the Mexican drug cartels? Wow. Wait, for real? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. That is interesting. Wow. The Mafia and the Mexican drug cartels. Now that's something now I'd that's, like to see. Now that's a movie. <laughs> yeah. So we got a pre-Godfather movie, we got an Australian Godfather offshoot, and we have a sequel that would all be good. Oh, yeah. Ready to go. Just anytime. Yep. Man. I'm telling you. Yeah, the Mafia just knows how to c- create an interesting <laughs> narrative. I'll tell you that. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Man. Well, we have not strayed too far on this one. No, no, no. But we didn't we- need to. Oh, no, we didn't. This uh, Mafia article is pretty beefy. Uh, So we've gone from Mario Francesi to Sicilian Mafia. And uh, go ahead and go to facebook.com slash podcast and give us a like and follow. Head over to iTunes, rate and review us. And you can check us out on Stitcher. You can check us out on Google. And... You can check us out anywhere where there are podcasts. And you can also find new episodes on our website, twc.erictoribia.com. There's also lots of other fun stuff on there, like books and donation tabs and other such things. <laughs> we really like that donation tab. That's, Boy, a, that's a fun one. <laughs> that's a good one. That's a good one for sure. Yeah, click that button, type in a number, and woof. really isn't. Just doesn't even have to be rush. yours. Just type whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, so I'd like to thank Louis Armstrong for our theme song and Helen Morgan for our outro song. So thanks again for joining us. I was Eric. And I was John. And this was the Wikipedia Chronicles. You go investigating.
Thank you. 